Hi, and welcome to the Northridge Vineyard Evening Community Podcast. We're a church community in Sydney, Australia, who are passionate about pursuing God together and seeing the world changed by His love. We hope this message challenges and inspires you. For more talks and other resources, please visit our website, www.northridge.org.au. Before we get cracking, um, so Jen and I, uh, a few weeks ago, we took some friends up to Newcastle, and we were and um, we were leading worship, and I was preaching at um, this church in Newcastle, like really little church. There's probably like 12 or 13 people who go. We love those guys um, so much. They're a vineyard church. Um, but one of the things that I, I brought a loving rebuke to this church um, because um, Adam and Debbie were leading worship, and God just like ruined me in worship, and I was like literally weeping as worship was finishing. But we, like, you know how we do announcements between worship and the talk? There's a reason for that because they just called me up to talk and I'm still like, like struggling uh, and, and they didn't have any tissues. And they assured me that they always have tissues. But this week, for whatever reason, so I, I had, I'm like standing up there wiping my face with the paper towel trying to start speaking. <laughs> So that's why we do things the way uh, we do it. But I, I say that because um, wasn't worship so special tonight? Like, I just, I think the, re- not, like, the reason that worship was so special is because God is good, right? Um, but I think, you know, it's just been a joy to see Maddie um, step up and take, where is Matt? Oh, there you are. I'm just going to embarrass you. I'm so sorry, mate. Um, but just... Um, yeah, seeing Maddie step in a reflection of the fact that you've just been so willing to step into that position of authority and to do that. Um, and I think it's been a really, it's been an interesting journey for me releasing that to Matt because I've been leading worship, like kind of running worship here for like seven years. So um, there is so much joy in releasing and giving away. Like when, when you get a gift, the first thing you want to do is give it away. And that's just how the kingdom works. And it's so much better. So bless you, Maddie. It's good. Um, Let's get into it. Um, so we are, if you have read on the screen, we're in week two of a series called Life on a Mission. Um, Pete Sherlock kicked us off last week, which was absolutely phenomenal, by the way. If you, Pete, this community really loves you, mate. Um, and he, so Pete kicked us off with an absolute cracker last week. If you didn't listen to it, I would strongly recommend um, that you that you have a listen on the podcast. It's up on the podcast. Um, you can find out why we need to be more like bees, which is awesome. He made a very convincing case. Um, but the heart, yeah, exactly. But the heart for this series, so it's called Life on a Mission. And we're kind of trying to debunk this idea that came up. I'm not sure where it comes from. But there's this idea that somehow appeared on the scene that mission is something you go and do. Like mission is a, it's an activity, it's a thing you put in your calendar. I'm doing mission now and then tomorrow afternoon I'm not doing mission anymore. Um, now mission certainly can be something you can go and do. You can put mission into your calendar, but that's an example of mission. That's not the definition of mission. Um, the mission, if you believe in Jesus, then you are called, you are commissioned by him, by God, to live life on a mission. Your life stops being meaningless and your life takes on this new purpose, which is the mission that God gives to you to bring his kingdom 
wherever you go. And so uh, this series, the big idea, if you take one thing away from all of these six weeks, it's just this simple idea that mission is not something that you go and do. Mission is who you are. Mission is a lifestyle that you live in whatever situation you find yourself in. So that's the big idea of this series. Um, now, the way that we're doing this series is a little bit different as well. So we're just so Pete obviously kicked us off last week. Um, he was looking at what it, he was looking at the book of Colossians and this this passage in there that uh, really helps us to understand how as individuals we can live lives on a mission. Um, and I'm kind of doing the other side of the same coin this week and talking about what it looks like when all of the people of God step into that missional lifestyle that God is calling us all into. And then next week, for four weeks, we're actually doing a bit of an experiment. So I'm expecting feedback. Um, We're going to do four weeks of interviews. So we're bringing the couch back, which is going to be really fun. If you're like, what's the couch? Um, I'll explain it in more detail next week because I've got this whole spiel I do every week about the couch. But um, basically, we we sit down, um, cup of tea, Um, and just have a conversation. We're going to learn from a whole bunch of different people, some people who are part of this community, some people who are not, um, and what it means practically for them to do life on a mission. So it's going to be super practical. It's going to be really fun. Um, You'll get to learn a lot more about some people who are part of this community, and you get to uh, meet some of the wider Northridge community as well, which is really fun. But tonight, we are digging into a passage in the book of 1 Corinthians um, from chapter 12. So if you have a Bible handy, um, open it up, switch it on, however you like to engage with the Bible. Uh, If you don't have a Bible handy, that's okay. I will read this passage for us in a moment. But just while we're all pulling out 1 Corinthians 12, starting from verse 12, uh, I want to give you a bit of an understanding of what we're reading, because it can be quite difficult when you, you pick up in the middle of a book. If you don't know what's going on, it can be really difficult to sort of follow the, the line of thought. So the book of 1 Corinthians um, is written by the Apostle Paul. Paul is uh, a guy who um, was around at the time of Jesus, and he's actually the author of most of the New Testament. So um, super switched on kind of guy. And um, so last week when we were reading from Galatians, Paul didn't actually found um, the Galatian church. But he did... Um, uh, he did start the, the church in Corinth, and he actually spent quite a bit of time there. And so he's really, really close um, and fond of this church in Corinth, which is why so much of the New Testament is taken up by 1 and 2 Corinthians. Um, Paul just really, really loves this church. And as you read through the book of 1 Corinthians, you get the sense that um, the Corinthians had actually reached out to Paul for help with a few um, social issues that they've been having within the church. Now, the thing... The, the sort of the key thing that had happened between um, Paul uh, leaving Corinth, um, the church that he'd founded and sort of really nurtured, and writing this letter, is that um, all of these uh, these other teachers and, and apostles had come in. And it's quite funny when you read in the sort of academic literature about this, they call them the super apostles, which is kind of funny. Um, and I, I kind of get some funny pictures, but it's all very academic, so, you know. Um, so, they, these, so these super apostles had come through, and there, there was a few different ones, and um, they, were, they were certainly very well-meaning. Um, they were very influential um, to the church in Corinth. But some of the stuff that they were teaching wasn't super helpful for the Corinthian church. There were two key problems that were cropping up. The first one is that there was, they were creating quite a lot of division in the church. 
So there was a group of the church who were saying, well, we believe that you know, Paul's teaching is the best teaching. And there's another um, bunch that said, well, oh, you know, Apollos, his teaching's the real deal. We'll follow him. And so they were kind of creating these separations in the church, which was really problematic. And then on top of that, um, there was, as a result of some of the specific things that were being taught, this church was starting to build this sense of hierarchy. So there were the, like, the kind of really awesome Christians, and then there were the not-so-awesome Christians, and then there were people who said they were Christians, but we don't really know about them. They were kind of building this hierarchy, which is obviously really unhelpful if you're trying to do a Christian church. So that's the context for this passage. So let's dive into it. Um, the, the query that Paul's addressing here is he's just, he's, he's answering a question they have about different spiritual gifts. So things like speaking in tongues, um, prophecy, uh, that kind of thing. And he's talked a little bit about that. But as a kind of caveat, he includes this really helpful analogy. So starting at verse 12, um, I'm going to read from the NIV, but if, if you're in a different version, that's okay. Follow along. So Paul writes, Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. And we were all given the one Spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but many. Now the foot should say, uh, Now if the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. If the whole of the body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body was an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty, while our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, and its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you are the body of Christ, and each one of you is a part of it. And God has placed in the church, first of all, apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, of helping, of guidance, and of different kind of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all have gifts of healing? Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? Now eagerly desire the greater gifts. And yet, I will show you the most excellent way. So, What's just happened? Some of the language um, in this analogy that he uses, can, you can get a little bit caught up and it can be easy to miss the flow. So there's basically three things that we've just read. Um, the first thing is that Paul is using an analogy here. He's, he's using this analogy of the body, the, the, the physical human body, to represent the body of Christ. 
And it, there's, there's kind of two parts to this analogy. First of all, he's saying that every individual part of the body is important. Um, so he's saying that, but he's also trying to say that the whole body together is unified. Every single part works together when a body is functioning properly. And I think it's really profound because he's saying we need to celebrate diversity in the body, but equally we need to hold and celebrate unity within the body. See, I think so often in the church um, or in society, we can think that unity and diversity conflict with each other, but that's just not the case. See, when you're really celebrating both of those things properly, they come together and they form a cohesive whole. And it's incredible when you see that happen. Then Paul goes on, he, he kind of provides this list. He says, he uses a whole lot of funny Christian words like apostle and prophet and, and miracles and, and teachers. And he, he lists out these different roles in the church. Now, some people in the past have interpreted this um, to be an exhaustive list or to be like a, a list of priorities. Um, but I don't think that's the case. There's a similar passage you might be familiar with uh, in Ephesians um, where Paul lists five different kinds of of gifting that God releases in the body. Now, I think these are all good examples, but what I think he's trying to do here is not provide us with a model for church ministry. He's actually just giving us examples. He's saying there are so many different and diverse roles that God gives his people, and we all play our roles and not presume. We, we need to swim in our own lane and not try and swim in someone else's. And then, um, you might have thought it was a bit interesting if you picked up that um, in the NIV, I actually read the first sentence of the next subtitle. Now, um, it's, it's helpful to know that in the original language that this was translated from, there weren't chapter and verse markings. Um, so this is one of these funny situations where it kind of feels like the next section started, but it's not until the second sentence that we come to chapter 13. Um, now, we're going to come back to that in a moment, but it was very intentional that I read out that little bit there. So we've got these three parts, the body analogy, the different roles in the church, and then the intro to the next section. So what I want to do is, first of all, um, talk a little bit about how this applies in a church context. Because if, if we're reading um, this, this passage faithfully, that's what Paul is actually trying to talk about. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about how we can extrapolate those principles and apply them um, to our, our mission outside of the church walls as well. And because I think it's fair enough to do that. And then finally, we're going to um, get a little bit practical and we're going to talk about how do we actually put this into practice in our lives. Um, but to start with, what does this actually look like in the church? Well, I, I, was, I was quite um, intentional in, in giving you the context behind this letter because I think it really helps us to understand what Paul's trying to say to the church in this passage. There were two really key issues um, that I highlighted, and I think Paul's really neatly dealing with both of them here. So the first one, and I wonder if you can relate to this, um, or I wonder if you've seen this in churches before, um, that the Corinthian church had this really unhealthy um, obsession with Christian celebrities. There are these, these super apostles or super Christians um, who've come through, who've done, done this teaching and it, you kind of get the sense that they've lost sight of the actual teaching and they're more focused on the teacher. Now, we, I think we come across this um, in our day and age. You know, I, I'm actually really grateful that because of the internet, we have instant access to some of the world's best teachers and preachers. You can 
um, subscribe to a podcast, and every week um, you will get absolutely world-class, like, conference-level teaching. And I think we should be really grateful for that. Um, but the problem, and, and you know what? I think um, God really loves it when people um, step into, like, a teaching gift, and they, they do it really well. So I'm not saying that it's bad that there are these um, amazing, well-known preachers. But the problem is, like I said before, when we lose sight of the, of the, the teaching and we focus on the teacher, when we get obsessed with um, what they say and we forget that all, all they're trying to do, if they're faithfully preaching the Word of God, then what they're trying to do is not point to themselves, but to point to God. And you know what? If you're accessing the best teaching resources in the world from your phone or from your laptop, um, and it's not changing the way you live, um, then there's something wrong there. Then I think this passage can speak to us. The other thing that the other thing that I think this this reminds us of um, is is it speaks to that that issue that they were having in the Corinthian church of this sense of hierarchy. And I think this is where Paul's really driving this problem home for the Corinthian church. Um, I think it's, it's pretty obvious, particularly if you read the, the previous passage and some of the passages following, you get the sense that the church in Corinth were, they kind of had a special value on some, um, some gifts. Um, you read uh, two or three chapters later and Paul goes into a really deep explanation of why the gift of tongues isn't necessarily better than all the other gifts. And he talks about that. Um, so you get this, this sense that they were really valuing some gifts over the others. And I actually think that, that that might sound ridiculous when you, when you look at it in their context, but I actually think in church, um, regardless of whether you're, you're just new and visiting or whether you've been around for a long time, I think we actually do this in church all the time. You know, it's so easy, um, particularly in a time of worship, to look at someone else who's over there who's, you know, maybe got their eyes closed and their, their knees on the ground or, or maybe someone's waving flags um, or someone's on the worship team uh, it's so easy to look at the way that other people worship and go, wow, obviously they're much more spiritual than I am. You know, obviously they get it. Um, and here am I, I'm not, not feeling anything, not experiencing anything. Obviously I'm, you know, obviously I'm not doing it right. Obviously I'm not as like Christian as, as these other people. We, um, we look at people who seem to have this amazing ability to read the Bible and that, you know, you might hear, hear someone's story about how they're really enjoying quiet times and they're just getting into the Word and they're loving it. You're like, well, that's not my experience. Um, and I think sometimes we hear stories of people who have um, these really profound spiritual experiences and when they look different um, to our own history, when we compare our history with God to other people, it's super unhelpful, isn't it? And so I think, um, far from this, this sort of hierarchy in church being pushed down from the top, which historically maybe, I think sometimes we can be our own, our own worst enemy in this situation. My question for you, if you find yourself engaging with the spirit of comparison in church, my question for you is why would you want to engage with God in a way that he didn't design you? No, God, you are the only one of you. God made you very, very intentionally. 
He has designed you with, with particular passions and loves and desires. He's, he's designed you to express your worship to God in a way that no one else can do. And if God has made you so unique and if, if you are so precious to Him, why would you want to engage with God in a way that He didn't design you for? You know, I think one, another example of when we do this um, that I think historically in the church has been um, really unhelpful um, is in evangelism. Um, and I wanna, I'm going to actually touch a bit more on this shortly, but, you know, I think, I think for a long time, um, people have sort of seen evangelism as like the greatest of the gifts, um, and we'll, we'll talk about why that is in a moment. Um, you know, I think every Christian... Um, evangelism needs to be part of everyone's story. Like we're all, we all engage in sharing the good news of Jesus, but it looks different for everyone. And I think for a lot of people, there's almost been this like this guilt that's associated with, oh, I, you know, I, I haven't led seven people to Christ yet this week. So, you know, you, you know what I mean? And it just sucks. It's just wrong. You know, I think all of us should continue to push into the gift of evangelism. And, you know, we have some incredibly, incredibly gifted evangelists in this room right now, and it's inspirational to see you guys um, do your thing. So I'm not saying we don't push into it, but I'm just saying it looks different for all of us. And that's what I think Paul's saying here too. What we learn from this passage is that it's not about an anointed few. It's not about the special Christians. It's not about the ones who've been going to church for 10 years and got it all figured out. Um, this is a total tangent, but I'm just going to go for it anyway. You know, one, one thing that I, I, I was... Maddie and I were leading worship at Hornsby Community this morning, um, and we were chatting with this guy who'd experienced the Holy Spirit for the first time um, at Alpha uh, on Wednesday, which was... Um, it's a whole other story that I'm not going to go into, but... It was, it was really funny because he was almost apologetic that he didn't have the right words for, like, to express the things that he'd experienced. And he'd, he'd obviously heard people using words in talks and things. You know, I think when you, if, you're, if you're new to this whole Jesus thing, if you're new to church, I think it's actually a gift that you don't know all the lingo yet. Like, you know, and I, I think sometimes when we pray, we try and put on this, like, really, really Christian um, turns of phrase and, and we try and you know, use lo- as many words as we can from Christian songs. And it's just, that's not, that's not actually helpful. You know, prayer is conversation with God. And so I would recommend, if you're still new to this, try, try and avoid learning all of the Christian words for as long as you can and just come honestly before the Lord. Um, so, yes, massively tangential, but I just could not say that. Um, you know, it actually... Well, what you realize when you read this passage and you really engage with it, when you think about what Paul was trying to say to the Corinthian church, is that it, this kingdom adventure actually takes all of us. It really takes all of us. It is not the anointing of the special few. It's not the people who are really gifted in healing or who are super spiritual in worship. It takes every one of us pushing into God and working out what it looks like for me to step into the design that God has for my life. That's what it's for. That's what this church thing is supposed to be all about. We were having a, I was having a com- another tangent. Um, I was having this conversation with Adam before um, we started this evening about like the language that we use for, for our space. And um, I'm not going to say some of the like bad words that we came up with for it. Um, but 
that came across really wrong. But um, <laughs> we weren't saying swear words in church. We're not that naughty. But we were, like, we were talking about how, like, we, we usually call a, a space like this, we'll call it a, a church because that's what we've grown up hearing. But our language is so important, right? If, if we keep referring to this place, um, like in, in the church office, we tend to refer to this as the auditorium. Um, some people call it the sanctuary. But if you avoid calling it the church, it leaves space for that language to talk about the body of believers that Christ is building. Because that's what the church is. It's, it's the people. It's not the building. And that's really important that we get that and we live that. So how do we do this outside the church walls? Because obviously we're talking about life on a mission, and, uh, and mission certainly can happen within the church walls, but I think um, some of the mission that God is most passionate about um, happens outside. At the church that Jen grew up at, St. Phil's in South Tamara, they have this awesome, awesome big banner above the back door of their church. So when you're walking out, you walk under it, and it says, you are now entering your mission field. Yeah. I just, I love it. Um, but, you know, I think although Paul is explicitly writing to the church about church things in this passage, I think just it's totally legitimate to take the principles we've learned here and extrapolate them out to, um, to how we do mission. And, you know, for a long time, I think we made the mistake of thinking that kingdom activity happens inside the church. Now, a lot of kingdom activity happens inside the church. But um, Bill Johnson has this awesome saying. He says, all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. Does that make sense? I'm going to say it again because it's a bit... Um, all of the church is in the kingdom, but not all of the kingdom is in the church. The kingdom actually is bigger than the church. And the church is, is meant to be the, um, the, driving, the driving force following after Jesus and being obedient to him. But it's not all about us. You know, to, to understand what this passage says to us about the way we do mission outside of the church walls, I think we actually need to examine the way that we tell the gospel story, um, because that makes a big difference. Um, I think historically, and certainly since the, the Reformation, one of the really key, one of the, the really common ways that we try and tell the gospel is that we actually make it all about us. You might, you might say, well... I'm a sinner, I do bad things, and so, um, you know, I'm destined to go somewhere bad after I die, but because of what Jesus did on the cross, now I can have restored relationship with the Father God, and I can go to heaven when I die. Now, now I, I'm not going to unpack exactly where that comes from in the Bible, because I, 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 I love to talk about this, so just go back through the last six months of podcasts um, and you'll hear me unpack that a few different times in different ways um, to get sort of the biblical background for this. But um, that, all, all of that, all of what I just said is true. It's, it, none of it's untrue. But it's not the whole story. Um, you know, aside from the fact that I didn't actually mention the resurrection in that telling of the gospel, um, I would argue that the main character in that gospel is actually me. I, I actually think that there's beauty in that gospel, and so many people have been saved with that gospel narrative, but that's not the whole story. If you read um, the ending of the book of Revelation, or if you read um, the, the, the start of Colossians or Ephesians, the way that Paul sums up the gospel um, is that, that through 
what Christ did on the cross and through his resurrection, God is restoring all things. You know, the, the gospel, it's, the, the good news of Jesus is so much more all-encompassing than just me and my personal salvation. It's praise the Lord that it includes that as well. But, but God is actually restoring everything in all creation back to himself. And when we think about our mission, when you view the gospel this way, it's actually incredibly, incredibly empowering. Because, you know, it's not all about evangelism anymore. It's not all about saving souls. That's still an important part of it. But we get this bigger picture and we realize that actually, regardless of what your gifting is, regardless of how you've been designed, every single one of us has a part to play in that new kingdom mission. You know, God is calling us to bring a foretaste. He is calling us to to make the distance between heaven and earth very small in our own lifetimes. We want to see his kingdom breaking in to our present reality, his glorious future coming now. And if that's what we're on about, then our mission becomes very different, doesn't it? It, it's, It's so empowering. Mission in that case, actually becomes the activity of all of us in every part of our lives. You know, we absolutely need pastors and people to work for the church. We really do. You know, I think there are some uh, people in the room, I'm not going to name names, but I think there are some people in the room here tonight who are called into into ministry, into working and giving their lives into ministry. Um, but that's, but that's not the whole picture. You don't have to, you don't have to quit your job and go into full-time ministry um, or bivocational ministry as, as we do um, to, to, to serve the Lord. You certainly can, and there's some of you that need to, but it's, it, it's not the only way. We also equally need people who, to respond to the call of God to go overseas and to bring the kingdom in far-off places, be that Cambodia be that Canada. You know, I believe, um, and I, Jen and I want to release you to do this, I believe that there are people here tonight who God is calling um, into faraway places to serve him. And we want to we send you, we want to release you. We'd love you to stay here, but if that's what God's telling you to do, you've got to follow him. But, it's, but mission is not just about going a, a far away. A, you know, a, the vast majority of us are called to be missionaries here in our own church community right now. We need people working in every single industry that there is. We need people in media, marketing, and finance. We need engineers who can build houses that don't break, who can build robots that won't kill us. We desperately need teachers who can equip the next generation, um, not necessarily preaching the gospel to them, but who can equip the next generation to do better than we did. We need those teachers. We need people working in finance um, for many reasons, um, not least to help fund the kingdom activity, um, but also to fight for economic equality um, in our society and to keep people accountable because people cheat and accountants know how to catch them. We need politicians who are people of integrity not nece- who aren't necessarily pe- preaching the gospel um, in front of TV cameras, but who can, who can show people what it means to live a godly life 
in the area of politics. We desperately, desperately need creatives. You know, it's been way too long that I think creativity has been seen as an excess, as, as something that you, you know, creatives, it's almost like an indulgent um, activity. But you know what? We desperately need creatives to be released to show the beauty of God to the world. You know, for so, yeah, amen. That's right, Carl and Tab. Um, you know, for centuries, the church was the, the number one patron of the arts. You know, when, when Notre Dame caught fire um, a, a few weeks back, back that, that's a shared part of our, like, humanity's um, like our heritage. It's a testament to the glory of God that's been there for, for centuries because it was funded by the church. You know, we need to uh, release and empower creatives. Um, and and it's, when, when you're a creative and you follow the Lord's calling to be creative and you do it with all your heart, you're advancing the kingdom of God. You are uniquely placed in your social circle. There is no one else who has the same connections, the same family, the same friendships, uh, the same level of relational capital with the people that you have relational capital with. There is no one else who is placed in the exact situation that you are in to bring the gospel. There is no one else who has those relationships. But it's not just about the relationships. It's about what you do as well. It's about the work of your hands. And if you don't believe me, listen to Pete's talk last week. We are called to bring all of ourselves into everything we do, and in doing so, glorify God and advance the kingdom. Now, how on earth do we go about doing that? Um, I'm, I'm very, very painfully aware that I personally have listened to a lot of, of talks um, that have called us to action, that have called us to do things. Um, and it's incredibly easy to... Uh, to go home and be like, yep, I'm going to be more missional this week, and nothing changes. Um, maybe, it's, maybe it's like an incremental thing. Maybe, you, you know, if you keep listening to enough talks about being missional, eventually you'll get there. Um, well, if you have that opinion, then let's, let's chat about what it means to be missional, because um, we can all be missional, uh, regardless of how, how uh, spiritual and how missional you think you are. Um, but... I want to actually give you Paul's answer. Now, I curiously uh, read the cliffhanger statement that comes at the end of chapter 12, uh, where Paul says, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. So Paul's, he's kind of, he's talked about the spiritual gifts, and then he's debunked all these myths they have about some being more spiritual and some being less spiritual, and talked about how we all need to bring our gifting to see God's kingdom advancing. Um, but Paul kind of, there's this colossal moment of, but, but all of what I've said, but, I'm going to read you the whole of 13, which is easy because it's very short. And um, I like the NLT of this. That's why my Bible is so big, by the way. It has four translations in it, side by side. Oh, it's not like giant print. My eyes aren't that bad. If I could speak all of the languages of earth and of angels, but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy, and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge, if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, it would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, 
I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It's not irritable, and it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith. It is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. Now, our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time and perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. When I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child. But when I grew up, I put away childish things. Now we see things imperfectly, like puzzling reflections in a mirror. But then we will see everything with perfect clarity. All that I know now is partial and incomplete, but then I will know everything completely, just as God now knows me completely. Three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. The greatest of all these is love. Now, you might have heard this passage before, particularly in the middle bit. You might have heard read it, um, at weddings. It's a very well-known passage. Um, and I could, there's a whole other sermon in unpacking um, the theology behind that, um, that passage. I'm not going to do that tonight. You'll be pleased to know. Um, what on earth does this passage about love have to do with living life on a mission? When I say it like that, it kind of starts to come together, doesn't it? Um, what Paul's saying here is God has graciously gifted his church with all kinds of gifts, all kinds of abilities, all kinds of things that, that people can do to bring the kingdom. But at the end of the day, if you are the most anointed, gifted, knowledgeable, talented person and you don't have love, you're wasting your time. You know, when we, when we think about living out God's mission, I think so often we think, okay, what am, what am I practically going to do? What habits can I form that are going to help me to advance God's kingdom um, through my own life? And I think they're really honorable questions to ask. Um, and I, you're welcome to ask those questions later. You know, if you really want to see transformation, um, if we as a church, if we want to see more, if we want to see more people get healed, we want to see um, more people uh, get the gift of prophecy. We want to see people meeting Jesus for the first time in this building. We want to see people who have been burned and rejected from churches in the past come back and find redemption in this place. It all starts with love. And the only way to get a love that will actually change anything is to go to the one who loved us first. It's where it all starts. I want to give you an awesome strategy for living in a missional life that will equip you and enable you to, to change the world by, by next Sunday. But I, I can't do that. All I can do is point you to the one who can. It all starts with love. And you can't love if you haven't received love. So I am going to propose that we ask God to pour his love out on us tonight. How does that sound? Awesome. Why don't we stand? Let's do that. So the way I want to do this um, activation is, I, like, I'm just going to let God do his thing. Um, so I'm going to invite God to come and pour out his love. He's going to pour out his love, and we're going to all feel incredibly blessed. Um, and then I've got some specific things um, that we're going to do some, pray, some prayer for. Um, and it's, 
I'll explain that bit when we get there. Let's just let's just get God's love uh, into us. So, yeah. Thank you, Lord, that you love us. Thank you that it is your love that empowers us to see your kingdom come. Lord, that your love is irresistible. Your love is incredible. Your love is kind. Your love is patient. Your love gives of itself. Your love is honest. Your love is caring. Your love is true. We thank you that that passage is all about you, Lord. It's a description of your character. And so, Lord, I, as we reflect on this beautiful and wonderful and unfailing love, I ask that you would pour that love out on us now. Pour it out, God. Don't hold back. Open the floodgates of heaven. Now, as I said very clearly earlier, the way that you're going to experience this love, it's going to be totally different for everyone. Um, But I just encourage you to press in whatever that looks like. Just receive God's love.